Section 10 of State of the Union Addresses by United States Presidents, 1901-1908. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. Section 10. Theodore Roosevelt. December 7, 1903. Part 4. By the act of June 28, 1902, the Congress authorized the President to enter into treaty with Colombia for the building of the canal across the Isthmus of Panama, it being provided that in the event of failure to secure such treaty after the lapse of a reasonable time, recourse should be had to building a canal through Nicaragua. It has not been necessary to consider this alternative, as I am enabled to lay before the Senate a treaty providing for the building of the canal across the Isthmus of Panama. This was the route which commended itself to the deliberate judgment of the Congress, and we can now acquire by treaty the right to construct a canal over this route. The question now, therefore, is not by which route the Isthmian Canal shall be built, for that question has been definitely and irrevocably decided. The question is simply whether or not we shall have an Isthmian Canal. When the Congress directed that we should take the Panama route under treaty with Colombia, the essence of the condition, of course, referred not to the government which controlled that route, but to the route itself, to the territory across which the route lay, not to the name which, for the moment, the territory bore on the map. The purpose of the law was to authorize the President to make a treaty with the power in actual control of the Isthmus of Panama. This purpose has been fulfilled. In the year 1846, this government entered into a treaty with New Granada, the predecessor upon the Isthmus of the Republic of Colombia and of the present Republic of Panama, by which treaty it was provided that the government and citizens of the United States should always have free and open right-of-way or transit across the Isthmus of Panama by any modes of communication that might be constructed, while in turn our government guaranteed the perfect neutrality of the above-mentioned Isthmus with the view that the free transit from the one to the other sea might not be interrupted or embarrassed. The treaty vested in the United States a substantial property right, carved out of the rights of sovereignty and property, which New Granada then had and possessed over the said territory. The name of New Granada has passed away, and its territory has been divided. Its successor, the government of Colombia, has ceased to own any property in the Isthmus. A new republic, that of Panama, which was at one time a sovereign state, and at another time a mere department of the successive confederations known as New Granada and Colombia, has now succeeded to the rights which first one and then the other formally exercised over the Isthmus. But as long as the Isthmus endures, the mere geographical fact of its existence and the peculiar interest therein which is required by our position perpetuate the solemn contract which binds the holders of the territory to respect our right to freedom of transit across it and binds us in return to safeguard for the Isthmus and the world the exercise of that inestimable privilege. The true interpretation of the obligations upon which the United States entered in this Treaty of 1846 has been given repeatedly in the utterances of Presidents and Secretaries of State. Secretary Cuss in 1858 officially stated the position of this government as follows. The progress of events has rendered the interoceanic route across the narrow portion of Central America vastly important to the commercial world, 
and especially to the United States, whose possessions extend along the Atlantic and Pacific coasts, and demand the speediest and easiest modes of communication. While the rights of sovereignty of the states occupying this region should always be respected, we shall expect that these rights be exercised in a spirit befitting the occasion and the wants and circumstances that have arisen. Sovereignty has its duties as well as its rights, and none of these local governments, even if administered with more regard to the just demands of other nations than they have been, would be permitted, in a spirit of eastern isolation, to close the gates of intercourse on the great highways of the world, and justify the act by the pretension that these avenues of trade and travel belong to them, and that they choose to shut them, or what is almost equivalent, to encumber them with such unjust relations as would prevent their general use. Seven years later, in 1865, Mr. Seward, in different communications, took the following position. The United States have taken and will take no interest in any question of internal revolution in the state of Panama, or any state of the United States of Colombia, but will maintain a perfect neutrality in connection with such domestic altercations. The United States will, nevertheless, hold themselves ready to protect the transit trade across the isthmus against invasion of either domestic or foreign disturbers of the peace of the state of Panama. Neither the text nor the spirit of the stipulation in that article by which the United States engages to preserve the neutrality of the isthmus of Panama imposes an obligation on this government to comply with the requisition of the President of the United States of Colombia for a force to protect the Isthmus of Panama from a body of insurgents of that country. The purpose of the stipulation was to guarantee the Isthmus against seizure or invasion by a foreign power only. Attorney General Speed, under date of November 7, 1865, advised Secretary Seward as follows. From this treaty, it cannot be supposed that New Granada invited the United States to become a party to the intestine troubles of that government, nor did the United States become bound to take sides in the domestic broils of New Granada. The United States did guarantee New Granada in the sovereignty and property over the territory. This was as against other and foreign governments. For 400 years, ever since shortly after the discovery of this hemisphere, the canal across the isthmus has been planned. For two score years it has been worked at. When made, it is to last for the ages. It is to alter the geography of a continent and the trade routes of the world. We have shown by every treaty we have negotiated or attempted to negotiate with the peoples in control of the isthmus and with foreign nations in reference thereto our consistent good faith in observing our obligations. On the one hand to the peoples of the isthmus, and on the other hand to the civilized world whose commercial rights we are safeguarding and guaranteeing by our action. We have done our duty to others in letter and in spirit, and we have shown the utmost forbearance in exacting our own rights. Last spring, under the act above referred to, a treaty concluded between the representatives of the Republic of Colombia and of our government was ratified by the Senate. This treaty was entered into at the urgent solicitation of the people of Colombia and after a body of experts appointed by our government, especially to go into the matter of the routes across the isthmus, had pronounced unanimously in favor of the Panama route. In drawing up this treaty, every concession was made to the people and to the government of Colombia. We were more than just in dealing with them. Our generosity was such as to make it a serious question whether we had not gone too far in their interest 
at the expense of our own. For in our scrupulous desire to pay all possible heed, not merely to the real but even to the fancied rights of our weaker neighbor, who already owed so much to our protection and forbearance, we yielded in all possible ways to her desires in drawing up the treaty. Nevertheless, the government of Colombia not merely repudiated the treaty, but repudiated it in such a manner as to make it evident by the time the Colombian Congress adjourned that not the scantiest hope remained of ever getting a satisfactory treaty from them. The government of Colombia made the treaty, and yet when the Colombian Congress was called to ratify it, the vote against ratification was unanimous. It does not appear that the government made any real effort to secure ratification. Immediately after the adjournment of the Congress, a revolution broke out in Panama. The people of Panama had long been discontented with the Republic of Colombia, and they had been kept quiet only by the prospect of the conclusion of the treaty, which was to them a matter of vital concern. When it became evident that the treaty was hopelessly lost, the people of Panama rose literally as one man. Not a shot was fired by a single man on the isthmus in the interest of the Colombian government. Not a life was lost in the accomplishment of the revolution. The Colombian troops stationed on the isthmus, who had long been unpaid, made common cause with the people of Panama. And with astonishing unanimity, the new republic was started. The duty of the United States in the premises was clear. In strict accordance with the principles laid down by Secretaries Cass and Seward in the official documents above quoted, the United States gave notice that it would permit the landing of no expeditionary force, the arrival of which would mean chaos and destruction along the line of the railroad and of the proposed canal, and an interruption of transit as an inevitable consequence. The de facto government of Panama was recognized in the following telegram, to Mr. Ehrman. The people of Panama have, by apparently unanimous movement, dissolved their political connection with the Republic of Colombia and resumed their independence. When you are satisfied that a de facto government, Republican in form and without substantial opposition from its own people, has been established in the state of Panama, you will enter into relations with it as the responsible government of the territory and look to it for all due action to protect the persons and property of citizens of the United States, and to keep open the Isthmian transit, in accordance with the obligations of existing treaties governing the relations of the United States to that territory. The government of Colombia was notified of our action by the following telegram to Mr. Beaupre. The people of Panama, having, by an apparently unanimous movement, dissolved their political connection with the Republic of Colombia, and resume their independence, and having adopted a government of their own, Republican in form, with which the government of the United States of America has entered into relations, the President of the United States, in accordance with the ties of friendship which have so long and so happily existed between the respective nations, most earnestly commends to the governments of Colombia and of Panama the peaceful and equitable settlement of all questions at issue between them. He holds that he is bound not merely by treaty obligations, but by the interests of civilization, to see that the peaceful traffic of the world across the Isthmus of Panama shall not longer be disturbed by a constant succession of unnecessary and wasteful civil wars. When these events happened, 57 years had elapsed since the United States had entered into its treaty with New Granada. During that time, the governments of New Granada and of its successor, Colombia, have been in a constant state of flux. The following is a partial list of the disturbances 
on the Isthmus of Panama during the period in question, as reported to us by our councils. It is not possible to give a complete list, and some of the reports that speak of revolutions must mean unsuccessful revolutions. May 22, 1850. Outbreak. Two Americans killed. War vessel demanded to quell outbreak. October 1850. Revolutionary plot to bring about independence of the Isthmus. July 22, 1851. Revolution in four southern provinces. November 14, 1851. Outbreak at Chagres. Man of war requested for Chagres. June 27, 1853. Insurrection at Bogota and consequent disturbance on Isthmus. War vessel demanded. May 23, 1854. Political disturbances. War vessel requested. June 28, 1854. Attempted revolution. October 24, 1854. Independence of Isthmus demanded by provincial legislature. April 1856. Riot and massacre of Americans. May 4, 1856. Riot. May 18, 1856. Riot. June 3, 1856. Riot. October 2, 1856. Conflict between two native parties. United States forces landed. December 18, 1858. Attempted secession of Panama. April 1859. Riots. September 1860. Outbreak. October 4, 1860. Landing of United States forces in consequence. May 23, 1861. Intervention of the United States forces required by Indentante. October 2, 1861. Insurrection and Civil War. April 4, 1862. Measures to prevent rebels crossing Isthmus. June 13, 1862. Mosquera's troops refused admittance to Panama. March 1865. Revolution and United States troops landed. August 1865. Riots. Unsuccessful attempt to invade Panama. March 1866. Unsuccessful revolution. April 1867. Attempt to overthrow government. August 1867. Attempt at revolution. July 5, 1868. Revolution. Provisional government inaugurated. August 29, 1868. Revolution. Provisional government overthrown. April 1871. Revolution. Followed apparently by counter-revolution. April 1873. Revolution and Civil War, which lasted to October 1875. August 1876. Civil War, which lasted until April 1877. July 1878. Rebellion. December 1878. Revolt. April 1879. Revolution. June 1879. Revolution. March 1883. Riot. May 1883. Riot. June 1884, Revolutionary Attempt. December 1884, Revolutionary Attempt. January 1885, Revolutionary Disturbances. March 1885, Revolution. April 1887, Disturbance on Panama Railroad. November 1887, Disturbance on Line of Canal. January 1889, Riot. January 1895, Revolution which lasted until April. March 1895, incendiary attempt. October 1899, revolution. February 1900, 
to July 1900, Revolution. January 1901, Revolution. July 1901, Revolutionary Disturbances. September 1901, City of Cologne taken by rebels. March 1902, Revolutionary Disturbances. July 1902, Revolution. The above is only a partial list of the revolutions, rebellions, insurrections, riots, and other outbreaks that have occurred during the period in question. Yet they number 53 for the 57 years. It will be noted that one of them lasted for nearly three years before it was quelled, another for nearly a year. In short, the experience of over half a century has shown Colombia to be utterly incapable of keeping order on the isthmus. Only the active interference of the United States has enabled her to preserve so much as a semblance of sovereignty. Had it not been for the exercise by the United States of the police power in her interest, her connection with the isthmus would have been sundered long ago. In 1856, in 1860, in 1873, in 1885, in 1901, and again in 1902, sailors and marines from the United States warships were forced to land in order to patrol the isthmus, to protect life and property, and to see that the transit across the isthmus was kept open. In 1861, in 1862, in 1885, and in 1900, the Colombian government asked that the United States government would land troops to protect its interests and maintain order on the isthmus. Perhaps the most extraordinary request is that which has just been received and which runs as follows. Knowing that revolution has already commenced in Panama, an eminent Colombian says that if the government of the United States will land troops to preserve Colombian sovereignty and the transit, if requested by Colombian charge d'affaires, this government will declare martial law and by virtue of vested constitutional authority when public order is disturbed, will approve by decree ratification of the Canal Treaty as signed, or if the government of the United States prefers, will call extra session of the Congress with new and friendly members next May to approve the treaty. An eminent Colombian has the perfect confidence of Vice President, he says, and if it became necessary, will go to the Isthmus or send representatives there to adjust matters along above lines to the satisfaction of the people there. This dispatch is noteworthy from two standpoints. Its offer of immediately guaranteeing the treaty to us is in sharp contrast with the positive and contemptuous refusal of the Congress which has just closed its sessions to consider favorably such a treaty. It shows that the government which made the treaty really had absolute control over the situation but did not choose to exercise this control. This dispatch further calls on us to restore order and secure Colombian supremacy in the isthmus, from which the Colombian government has just by its action decided to bar us by preventing the construction of the canal. The control, in the interest of the commerce and traffic of the whole civilized world, of the means of undisturbed transit across the isthmus of Panama, has become of transcendent importance to the United States. We have repeatedly exercised this control by intervening in the course of domestic dissension and by protecting the territory from foreign invasion. In 1853, Mr. Everett assured the Peruvian minister that we should not hesitate to maintain the neutrality of the isthmus in the case of war between Peru and Colombia. In 1864, Colombia, which has always been vigilant to avail itself of its privileges conferred by the treaty, expressed its expectation that in the event of war between Peru and Spain, 
the United States would carry into effect the guarantee of neutrality. There have been few administrations of the State Department in which this treaty has not, either by the one side or the other, been used as a basis of more or less important demands. It was said by Mr. Fish in 1871 that the Department of State had reason to believe that an attack upon Colombian sovereignty on the Isthmus had, on several occasions, been averted by warning from this government. In 1886, when Colombia was under the menace of hostilities from Italy in the Cerruti case, Mr. Bayard expressed a serious concern that the United States could not but feel that a European power should resort to force against a sister republic of this hemisphere as to the sovereign and uninterrupted use of a part of whose territory we are guarantors under the solemn faith of a treaty. The above recital of facts establishes beyond question. First, that the United States has for over half a century patiently and in good faith carried out its obligations under the Treaty of 1846. Second, that when for the first time it became possible for Colombia to do anything in requital of the services thus repeatedly rendered to it for 57 years by the United States, the Colombian government preemptorily and offensively refused thus to do its part, even though to do so would have been to its advantage and immeasurably to the advantage of the state of Panama, at that time under its jurisdiction. Third, that throughout this period, revolutions, riots, and factional disturbances of every kind have occurred one after the other in almost uninterrupted succession, some of them lasting for months and even for years, while the central government was unable to put them down or make peace with the rebels. Fourth, that these disturbances, instead of showing any sign of abating, have tended to grow more numerous and more serious in the immediate past. Fifth, that the control over Colombia over the Isthmus of Panama could not be maintained without the armed intervention and assistance of the United States. In other words, the government of Colombia, though wholly unable to maintain order on the Isthmus, has nevertheless declined to ratify a treaty, the conclusion of which opened the only chance to secure its own stability and to guarantee permanent peace on, and the construction of a canal across the Isthmus. Under such circumstances, the government of the United States would have been guilty of folly and weakness, amounting in their sum to a crime against the nation, had it acted otherwise than it did when the revolution of November 3rd last took place in Panama. This great enterprise of building the interoceanic canal cannot be held up to gratify the whims, or out of respect to the governmental impotence, or even to the more sinister and evil political peculiarities of people who, though they dwell afar off, yet against the wish of the actual dwellers on the isthmus, assert an unreal supremacy over the territory. The possession of a territory fraught with such peculiar capacities as the isthmus in question carries with it obligations to mankind. The course of events has shown that this canal cannot be built by private enterprise or by any other nation other than our own. Therefore, it must be built by the United States. Every effort has been made by the government of the United States to persuade Colombia to follow a course which was essentially not only to our interests and to the interests of the world, but to the interests of Colombia itself. These efforts have failed, and Colombia, by her persistence in repulsing the advances that have been made, has forced us, for the sake of our own honor and of the interest and well-being not merely of our own people, but of the people of the Isthmus of Panama and the people of the civilized countries of the world, to take decisive steps to bring to an end a condition of affairs which had become intolerable. 
the new Republic of Panama immediately offered to negotiate a treaty with us. This treaty I herewith submit. By it, our interests are better safeguarded than in the treaty with Colombia, which was ratified by the Senate at its last session. It is better in its terms than the treaties offered to us by the republics of Nicaragua and Costa Rica. At last, the right to begin this great undertaking is made available. Panama has done her part. All that remains is for the American Congress to do its part, and forthwith this republic will enter upon the execution of a project colossal in its size and of well-nigh incalculable possibilities for the good of this country and the nations of mankind. By the provisions of the treaty, the United States guarantees and will maintain the independence of the Republic of Panama. There is granted to the United States in perpetuity the use, occupation, and control of a strip, 10 miles wide and extending 3 nautical miles into the sea at either terminal, with all lands lying outside the zone necessary for the construction of the canal or for its auxiliary works, and with the islands in the Bay of Panama. The cities of Panama and Cologne are not embraced in the canal zone, but the United States assumes their sanitation and, in case of need, the maintenance of order therein. The United States enjoys within the granted limits all the rights, power, and authority which it would possess were it the sovereign of the territory, to the exclusion of the exercise of sovereign rights by the Republic. All railway and canal property rights belonging to Panama and needed for the canal pass to the United States, including any property of the respective companies in the cities of Panama and Cologne. The works, property, and personnel of the canal and railways are exempted from taxation as well in the cities of Panama and Cologne, as in the canal zone and its dependencies. Free immigration of the personnel and importation of supplies for the construction and operation of the canal are granted. Provision is made for the use of military force and the building of fortifications by the United States for the protection of the transit. In other details, particularly as to the acquisition of the interests of the new Panama Canal Company and the Panama Railway by the United States and the condemnation of private property for the uses of the canal, the stipulations of the Hay-Heron Treaty are closely followed, while the compensation to be given for these enlarged grants remains the same being ten millions of dollars payable on exchange of ratifications, and, beginning nine years from that date, an annual payment of $250,000 during the life of the convention. End of section 10.